Our Heavenly Father, we come into your presence today with that awareness that it is only possible for us to come directly to you because of the sacrifice of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He, as the God-man, fully man, fully God, is our only mediator between God and man. We have no other mediator. We need no other mediator than Jesus Christ. Because through his incarnation, he took upon himself humanity, human nature, without losing his divine nature. He is the God-man that stands between a holy triune God and humanity. Thank you for giving him to be our Savior and for dying on the cross. Thank you that we have the free access into your presence at any time we desire. But always cause us to remember it is only because it cost you your very best, your unique, only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your blessings upon us as a nation. We celebrate our 36th anniversary as an independent nation. But our Father causes us to realize that this is only a political independence, not a spiritual one, because we should never be independent of you. As a people, as a nation, as individuals, we are always to be dependent upon the triune God. Help us never to live our lives our own way, to do it my way, to do it our way when it comes to pleasing you. Help us always to realize that we must do it your way because you are the only true and living God and besides you there is no other God. Jesus Christ is our only mediator and between, besides him there is no way. He is the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. Help us always then to realize that we are completely and absolutely dependent upon you when it comes to spiritual matters. Thank you for blessing this land. Father, thank you for this beautiful land that you've given to us. Thank you, our Father, for the freedom we have of being able to proclaim the gospel, to gather together to worship and to share your word and to fellowship together and to proclaim the word and to live a godly life in all tranquility, free from any fear of being uh, prevented to do so by the government. Thank you for this. And we pray for our government now, our leaders, praying that you may make them to be conscious of the fact that they are accountable to you for their governance over us. And as a result of that, they might do so in a way that is honoring and free from oppression, free from personal gain, and they might do so only to glorify you and to benefit your people. Father, we pray that as a nation, independent nation, 36 years old today, that we might see a turnaround in our spiritual life as a nation. May we truly become a nation that is known for righteousness and not for sin. O oh God, we pray that you might give wisdom to those who lead us 
to do what is necessary to provide the protection for the citizens of this country and to do what is necessary to rule righteously and justly and, and not to oppress anyone. Our Father, we just pray that the freedoms that we have might continue in the years ahead as we wait for your return. We pray for those who are not well today, those who are in hospital, Lord, those who are just preparing for surgery perhaps or some medical procedure or recovering some, from, from some medical procedure or surgery. We pray for recuperation on their part that it might be without complications. For those who might be undergoing any pain or discomfort now, Lord, we pray that you might relieve them from pain, relieve them from discomfort because we are praying for them and they can sense your presence in their lives as the great physician. Father, as we speak today from your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit might illuminate us and cause us to understand what it is that you're saying to us. And then by that same Holy Spirit, energize us to do, we pray, whatever you would say to us today. In Jesus' name we ask these blessings. Amen and amen. Those numbers again, because we encourage you to call in today with your questions or comments on our show, is 322-7846, 322-7846, or 326-0800. I'd like to remind you, too, that tomorrow evening in our programming here, our regular programs will go on, except for uh, between the hours of, well, out between 5 and 6 o'clock, I'll be giving a special message on independence, um, calling it uh, um, uh, what is it? An independence to remember. I even forget the uh, the name myself. An independence to remember. That will be our message for Independence Day tomorrow at five o'clock. We encourage you to tune in and to listen. And then perhaps on our next program, you could respond to that message by calling in at that time. Now, today, I want to speak about something I think is very relevant, very current to us. You see, I am continually being saddened and made to be extremely upset over much of what is being presented as anointed preaching today in the professing Christian church. To an observant, discerning Believer who is familiar with the Word of God, I believe that it is clear that the Word of man is being proclaimed today from our pulpits as the Word of God. And I think that is happening more and more in these days in which we live. It is also clear that many who are proclaiming what they claim to be the Word of God are not those who follow Apostle Paul's command to study to show yourself to be a workman approved of God by accurately handling the Word of God. My friends, I am extremely distraught, dismayed, saddened, and even angered over the state of affairs when it comes to the preaching of the Word of God. And I'm not, I'm not only speaking about what is happening here in our own country, but in the United States and elsewhere as we watch the media. Now, I am today going to be as outright and forceful as I possibly can, but also as loving as I possibly can, because we are dealing with a very vital issue, and that is the accurate proclamation of the Word of God by those who are supposed to be spiritually qualified to do so. 
there's just too much nonsense being presented in the name of God today under the guise of the anointing. In fact, it appears as though everyone who claims to be a preacher today is only qualified to preach because he or she is said to have the anointing. They are the anointed one. It's amazing what's going on. Now, of everything, half of those of us who claim what we say is God's word were true. Then we would certainly, of all people, be most confused by what is being said by so many because so many contrary things are being said. We would have a God who is a divine flip-flopper. For instance, some says that the believer receives and is baptized by the Holy Spirit when we become believers. Others says, no way. God says, they say, we are not baptized by or with him until we speak in tongues. Some say, God says we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, period. Others say, God says we are saved by faith plus water baptism or doing some other ritual or sacrament. Surely, my friends, God cannot be saying all of these contrary things at once. What is more, we have turned preaching and worship into entertaining events, events for entertainment purposes, rather than worship and edification. Now, I'm speaking generally, of course, because as always, there are exceptions, thankfully, but unfortunately, these exceptions are become, becoming even more exceptional and rare than ever before. My friends, if you would be real truthful and objective, you would have to agree with me that it would be more difficult for even Hollywood to outdo some of the extravagance, and I should say the extravaganzas that we put on in some of our churches in the name of worship and edification today. Now, when this situation is coupled with preaching that is no more than motivational speeches laced with psychological jargon to make the hearers feel good about him or herself, we must really wonder what is God's response to all of this and how what is being done in the flesh rather than the spirit as commanded and required by God if our worship or preaching is to be accepted by him. Remember, he is seeking people who would worship in spirit and in truth, apart from the flesh, Paul tells us in Galatians. But if we took the flesh out of much of what is done in our churches today, we'd have very little left, if anything. Now, I'm convinced that the root cause of all of this is a failure to properly read and study the Word of God and thus be able to apply and proclaim it accurately. In other words, we are mishandling the Word of God. Now, this will be my focus today on talking it through biblically. And our foundational text for our study today is the first epistle of John, and I encourage you to get your Bible and follow along with me as we go through this passage today. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29 will be our text. Now, this passage makes specific reference to the term or concept I have already mentioned that is being used much today 
and causing a lot of confusion to many believers. I speak, of course, of the current, the current concept of the Spirit's anointing. Now, I'm sure you have heard it mentioned in recent messages as well as not-so-recent messages. It is my conviction that this phrase, this term, this concept, some call it this teaching, for the most part is being used contrary to the meaning in the Bible. I believe it is a prime example of how the scriptures are being distorted today and twisted either intentionally or unintentionally because of ignorance of the word of God, that is a lack of understanding. And also why Christians must be encouraged to be as noble as the Bereans who searched the scriptures to be sure what they were hearing, even from the apostle Paul himself was accurate rather than simply accepting everything a preacher says without discernment and intelligent examination and evaluation, including, of course, the preacher you are now listening to. Get out your Bible, get out the Word, and examine what I'm saying against the Word. But before we begin our study, I want to remind you again that we're discussing the Word of God. The Word of God, which is vital to our life as believers. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's the inspired Word of God. That's what we're dealing with. And so we have to have the proper respect and regard and appreciation for the Word of God. So remember that as we begin our study on this concept of anointing or being anointed. Now, based on the authorized version of the Bible, that is the King James Version, it's called the authorized version because it's authorized by King James to be translated and so on. The King James Version refers to the term anoint or anointed 154 times. 154 citations of the, of the word anoint is found in the King James Version of the Bible. 35, well, 135 of them are in the Old Testament. 135 of them. And 19 of them are in the New Testament. Now, the idea of God's anointing, as with many important truths, has its root in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, anoint, anointing, and anointed are all related to the office of prophet, priest, and king. Now, this is according to Scripture. One of the amazing things here is that it's only one reference is made to the anointing of prophets, and that's in 1 Kings 19.16, referring to Elisha. Only once, only once is anointing referred to in connection with the prophets. All of the others are in connection with priests and kings. Now, this speaks volumes to the way in which the term is being used today. They're just about every preacher is claiming to be God's anointed because he's God's prophet. It's amazing. Now, a definition of anointing then could be something like this based on the biblical findings. Anointing describes 
the procedure of rubbing, pouring, or otherwise applying oil upon a person or thing for the purpose of healing or setting it apart for the use of God or for an embalming of a dead body. Olive oil, of course, was the most used uh, form of anointing, although there was a special form for the high priest. Now, the items used in the tabernacle for worship are said to be anointed, meaning that they were set apart solely for that purpose. Listen carefully now. According to a, deter, a detailed research of the entire Old Testament, now, here is the finding. Nowhere is anointing ever referred to as a supernatural or mystical power given to human beings in order to perform the miraculous. Never. Rather, it was more the idea of consecrating or setting one or something apart to a specific task, to a specific service or position. While authority or privilege is involved, imparted power or ability is not. In other words, anointing never really imparted power or ability, only the authority to do something in a particular position or privilege to do it. Now listen carefully. Search the scriptures if you see we are true or not. Nowhere in the Old Testament is there reference to a double portion anointing as you hear so many people talking about today. Nowhere in the scriptures do you have any idea of a double portion anointing. Nowhere is there reference to anointing being passed on or transmitted by one person to another either by laying on of hands or by blowing or by, or by waving through a cloth or any other type. Nowhere, nowhere do you have this kind of a thing going on. Nowhere in the Old Testament is there any reference to any means, secret or otherwise, by which a person can either obtain, increase, or lose the anointing as a prophet, a priest, or a king, once was given to them by God. Now, the same is true of the New Testament. New Testament. No reference is made to how one may obtain or pass on the anointing. None. All such concepts have their origin outside of the biblical text and devised by the mind of man and not the word of God. Let's look at this concept in the New Testament more closely today. See, I believe that it is vital to a true interpretation that we look at the context in which a phrase is used in the Bible. And so I am simply going to do an exposition of the passage in 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to begin, as I said, at verse 18, to see what the Apostle John had to say about the Christian's anointing from a New Testament perspective. In other words, from the perspective of the New Covenant. What does the New Covenant have to say about anointing? Now, we want to communicate the biblical teaching as given in the sacred text, not impose our own ideas on the text. So make sure you get your Bibles and follow along. Now, I say this because I read just very recently a sermon that was given by a very well-known Bible teacher. And it was called, Five Secrets for Getting a Double Portion Anointing. And he read from a text that did not even mention the word anointing. 
but yet he got five secrets for getting a double portion anointing, none of which is mentioned in the text. And people received it without saying a word. It's amazing to me. Well, let's get back to First John chapter 2, verse 18. It's important now to see who is specifically addressed in the text. John begins by saying, children. Now, this is the Greek word which refers to a baby, an infant, and was also used in verse 12 of this epistle without any reference to age. But in this verse, verse 18, it refers to an infant, someone who is immature. The implication is that John is addressing those who are young in the faith, and he has a special warning for them. He says, it is the last hour or the last time. John is saying that they were at that time living in the time just before the return of Christ. We call that the eminence of Christ, the idea that Christ could come at any time. We too then are living in the last hour, the last time. John is saying that it is important for us to understand the times in which we live. And my friends, we are indeed living in perilous times when many are departing from the faith, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. John describes one of the characteristics of these times in the passage. Notice what he says. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know it is the last hour. In other words, proof of John's statement that it is the last hour was the presence of many Antichrists at that particular time. Now notice now, and it is extremely important to give a definition of Antichrist as used here and to note the distinction between the coming Antichrist and the current Antichrist of which John speaks. The Antichrist is a specific person who will embody and manifest all that has and will ever be recognized to be against God or really instead of God. He will be completely controlled and possessed by Satan and endowed with most, if not all, of his powers. His coming has been prophesied for hundreds and even thousands of years and is known in Scripture as, for instance, the lawless one, the willful king, the son of perdition, the man of sin, the false prophet, the Assyrian, the one who shall come, and the beasts. The Apostle John is the only writer to describe him as the Antichrist. And it is only in this epistle that we're reading right now that he describes him as such. In this verse, 22, and also in chapter 4, verse 23, and Second John, verse 7. Now, he talks about these many current antichrists of his day. John alludes or refers to false teachers who manifest the spirit, the attitude and characteristics of the coming antichrist. The apostle pinpoints one of the major errors taught by these antichrists in chapter 4, verse 3. He says this, and I quote, Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not from God. 
And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Notice, it doesn't say this is Antichrist. This is the spirit. This is the kind of thing that the Antichrist will be doing. The Antichrist then of John's day were those who deny the full humanity of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. My friends, it is still the designation for those who do the same today. No one can be truly for Christ or the Christian faith if he or she denies the full humanity and absolute deity of Jesus Christ. That denial is a mark of their true character. They are antichrist. Now, listen carefully now. Anti here does not necessarily mean against, but rather false or pseudo Christ, in place of Christ, instead of Christ. Now, it is vitally important also to understand that the word Christ or Christos means anointed one. Now, please get this because this is the important part of the message I want you to understand. It is important to understand that the word Christ or Christos means anointed one. In other words, Jesus is the anointed one. Christ is not a name. Christ is a title. It describes who Jesus is. He is the anointed one. He is the uniquely anointed one. Now, with that in mind, listen carefully to the prophetic words of Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 5. Many will come in my name. In the name of whom? Jesus. Saying, I am the Christ and will mislead or lead many astray. Did you get that? Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead or many astray. In other words, false Christ or anointed ones will come in his name. Now, normally we look at this as saying there's people who claim to be the Savior and so on. But I want you to see the context now. Notice carefully, Jesus is saying that in these last days in which we are now living, many will claim to be anointed because that's the meaning of Christ. Many will saying, I am the Christ. Translated, many will come saying, I am anointed. They will come in his name saying, I am anointed by God and lead many astray. My friends, that has come true today. We have many who claim to be God's anointed today, who claim to be little Christ's. To use the Greek term, they actually are saying, I am Christ. That's what it means when he says, I am anointed. I am the anointed one. Or at least I am one of the anointed ones of the day. That is what's being said. And people are doing it without understanding or realizing what they're doing. At least some of them are, most of them are. Notice something else. All three of the New Testament verses, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 21, 1 John 2 verse 20 and verse 27, that use the terms anointed or have an anointing, concerning others than Christ himself refers to all believers. In other words, all believers are said to have an anointing. But the other uses have to do with the anointing of the bodies of the dead and Jesus' own body. In other words, 
most of the times the word anointed is used in scripture, it has to do with all the believers, not just some special individuals. And we're going to describe why it is mentioned that way. But something else, all New Testament verses that speak of someone who is especially and specifically anointed by God refer to Christ. The only one who is spoken of as specifically anointed by God for a specific task is Jesus Christ. Not the individual believers, but only Jesus Christ. Search the New Testament. You'll see that it's true. My friends, listen. Jesus and the writers of the New Testament make it clear that we should refuse to listen to anyone claiming a special anointing that sets him or herself apart from the rest of us, and especially apart from Jesus Christ. Now, this is important information here, my friends. I think it will help us to clear up some of the confusion that is being spread around today. But we're going to take a break right now, and we're going to come back, and we hope that you'll give us a call, make a comment, ask questions. Our numbers are 322-7846 or 326-0800. Easy, easy be, Okay, we're back now doing an exposition of 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Now, in this passage, John is teaching concerning other traits and characteristics of those who are actually against God's anointed one, even though they claim to be for him and being anointed themselves. These false teachers manifest the coming antichrist character of deceit, lying and manipulation of the word of God in order to entice the people of God away from the truth of God's word and from obedience to his will. And they do it all in the name of God and base, they say, on his word. My friends, that's what makes this such an insidious, dangerous situation. Notice how John describes these false teachers in verse 19 of 1 John 2. First, he says, they eventually defect from the fellowship of true Christians. John says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. In other words, false teachers eventually leave the Christian fellowship, either through exposure and expulsion, or because they lose their audience and, of course, their means of income. But second, John says these false teachers actually originate within the Christian fellowship itself. Now, this is an amazing revelation here. Notice what he says. For if they had been of us, they have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they are all not of us. Now, Paul prophesied this very same thing. Listen to the words of Paul in Acts chapter 20 and verse 29. Quote, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not spearing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. End of quote. This is one of the greatest and most insidious dangers facing the church of Jesus Christ today. It is a sure sign of the final days in which we live. Men and women professing to be teachers of the word and followers of Jesus Christ, God's anointed one. But actually, they're seeking their own disciples for their own personal selfish reasons. 
and they do so by even claiming to be anointed themselves. Now, it is within this context that the Apostle John introduces the teaching of or the Christian's anointing. Now, get your Bibles and look very carefully, very carefully at verses 20 and 21 of this passage, where the Apostle contrasts the true believer with the Antichrist-type false teachers who seek their own disciples. Notice what he says. Quote, But you, meaning the true believer in Christ, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know the truth. Now listen carefully at this verse. The word translated anointing here is the Greek word charisma, meaning a grace gift or a gift of grace, and it refers to the Holy Spirit. The Holy One, of course, refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. So John is saying that Jesus Christ graciously gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable us to know the truth and so be able to distinguish between truth and error and between true and false doctrine. I want you to note something very carefully here, and I hope you have your Bible now, because um, we're teaching here now. We're not just preaching at you, but we're working through the Scriptures along with you. Note that the phrase, the anointing, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, or I should say the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the specific purpose for his anointing or his indwelling in this context is to enable the believer to distinguish between true and false doctrine. Notice, John says we have this anointing. Present tense. It's a present possession. Speaking of all believers, we have this anointing. It is not something we are to seek. It is not something we are to pray for. It is not anyone can give us by blowing on us or waving at us. There is no secret to receiving him. All believers have the anointing already because we have the Holy Spirit. And he is the anointing given to us by God, given to us by Jesus Christ. Anoint. Notice now, notice carefully, the anointing is not a power or an influence or even an ability. The anointing is a person. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. Note also that he is given to us. He's not given by us. Now, while it is said here that it is Christ who anoints us with the Holy Spirit, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says that it was the Father who anointed him, that is, Jesus, with the Holy Spirit and with power. Here's the point of John is making, though, friends. Every Christian has this anointing. There's no secret to get it. There's no praying to get it. Once you have Jesus Christ, you have the anointing of the Spirit. We cannot be a Christian without this anointing. It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who enables us to serve and worship the triune God and to understand the Word of God. Now, Paul tells us elsewhere that this anointing of the Spirit, that is, the gift of the Spirit himself, was given to us at the time of our conversion as a mark and guarantee of our salvation. Listen to his words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. 
Listen now to the word of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, past tense, historical fact. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. End of quote. Friends, look at your Bibles very carefully. Paul equates several aspects of the Spirit's work in our lives. They are his anointing, his sealing, his security as our deposit, and his indwelling. They are all one and the same. They all happened at the same time, immediately upon conversion. There's no secret to this. We don't have to do anything to this. We don't have to put any kind of planting a seed to get it. All we have to do is receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, trust in him, rely upon him and his finished work for us, and then we have the anointing of the Spirit. And so we can say that it is the Spirit's indwelling, anointing, deposit, and sealing which guarantee the believer's salvation. They are the basis for that eternal security. These scriptures also tell us that it is the Holy Spirit himself who is our anointing. He's our seal. He's our deposit. And he personally indwells us. Now the Apostle John validates his teaching in verse 27. Notice what he says. Quote, And as for you, speaking of the believers in Christ, as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides with you. Now, my friends, it's very important to see the tenses of these words in this text. The anointing which you receive, past tense, abides with you, present continual tense. In other words, the Holy Spirit who came to anoint and to live within us and to seal us and to give us a guarantee that we are the child of God, he still indwells. He is still our anointing right now. In other words, the Holy Spirit permanently indwells and resides with every believer. He never leaves. His anointing is always with us because he is in us. We, therefore, as believers, may and in fact does need the filling of the Spirit again and again and for special ministries at special times. But we do not need another anointing because he's always with us. His anointing was given us, it occurred, transpired at the time we placed faith in Christ. Now, this is a once-for-all abiding state and experience for the believer, my friend. It happens that conversion and abides with us throughout our lives until we either sleep in Christ or is taken by him in the rapture. John is clear on this. Notice what he says. The anointing which you received at conversion abides with us continually. It is a once-for-all transactions that continues throughout the life of the believer. So, friends, listen. You don't have to go seeking this anointing. You don't have to lay any kind of deposit down to anybody as a, as planting a seed or looking for secrets for the anointing. All of that is man-made foolishness. It's a distortion and a twisting of the Word of God. 
Notice the sphere in which the Spirit's anointing has special impact. The sphere. Notice what John says. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. You see, you have to read this in the historical context as well. There were false teachers who were claiming, they were called Gnostics, who were claiming that they had some secret knowledge. The same way people are talking about today. We have Gnosticism going on today. We have the secret to give you a deeper spiritual life. That's what they're saying. And we have the means of teaching you this. It's not just enough to read the scriptures yourself. You have to have the teaching of me as an anointed one. That's what they're claiming. I can give you the secret. But notice what John says in light of all that. You have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing, Christ's anointing, teaches you about all things. That's the Holy Spirit. And is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you abide in him. In other words, he's saying, listen to the teaching of the Holy Spirit who indwells within you. It has to do specifically with discerning between truth and error in this context. And the Holy Spirit is our permanent resident, resident teacher. We don't need anyone to give us any kind of secret to a deeper spiritual life. We don't have to pay anything for it. We don't have to do all kinds of rituals to get it. No. The Holy Spirit is the one who indwells us and teaches us these truths. Now, when he says you have no need for anyone to teach you, he does not mean that believers do not need teachers of the word. If this was so, it would negate the gift of teaching and eliminate the function in local churches prescribed throughout the epistle. So we know he doesn't mean that. In context, rather, the apostle is really saying two things. First, he's saying that the believer didn't need the additional teachings which the false teachers were at that time saying they needed in order to understand the deeper things of God. He says, you don't need that. You don't need the teachings of these Gnostics, those who are claiming to be anointed. You see, they were claiming, as many are doing today, that we or they needed their spe special teachings if they were going to prosper or if they were going to be blessed by God. In order for you to prosper, in order for you to be blessed by God, you've got to get the secrets that I have. And it begins by planting a seed. Paul says, or John says, that's nonsense. What they had, what the believer had, already received through the elimination of the indwelling Holy Spirit was sufficient for them. And he would always be sufficient for the people of God to teach us the truth. They, that is the Christians, we today do not need any special or secret message from any so-called anointed teacher because John is saying we have the anointed one, the Holy Spirit living within us. Watch out for those who claim that they are the anointed and they have the secret to a deeper life or to prosperity in your life. Second, what John is saying here is that in the final analysis, it is the Holy Spirit who actually teaches the truth of God to believers. It is He who illuminates the mind of man so he can understand the truth presented by Spirit-gifted teachers. We are never to deviate or depart from this truth, which is affirmed to us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. But rather, we are to reject and to turn away from error as, as was being taught by those who demonstrated the spirit and attitude of the coming Antichrist by their rejection of the truth. John is saying, my friends, 
that the strongest bulwark and defense against error is the truth of God's word as taught to us by the Holy Spirit. Anything that is contrary to the word of God is a lie. And the best way to discern the counterfeit is to know the genuine. And the one who teaches us that truth is the indwelling Holy Spirit. He is our abiding anointing for that very purpose. We don't need anyone else to teach us truths that we cannot discern ourselves. Remember, my friend, the easiest person to lead astray is the person who does not know the Word of God. That's why the Apostle addresses this message about false teachers specifically to babes in Christ, those who are spiritually immature and who do not know the Word of God the way they should. He wants to equip them so that they will be able to unmask and stand against the false teachers who were and were pervading the church. And my friends, we are living in the same kind of a situation today. We're going to take one final break, and we want to encourage you to give us a call, 322-7846, 322-7846, or 326-0800. That's 326-0800. We just have about uh, maybe 12 minutes left, so give us a call after this break. Easy, easy be, easy, easy be, excellence in Christian broadcasting. The Apostle John gives another mark or characteristic of a genuine Christian in verse 24 of First John 2. He says, quote, As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Talking about the truth. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, continues in other words, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. He's talking about the necessity and, and in fact, the, the, uh, the essential need for a believer to continue in the truth that they've heard. John is referring then to what some call the perseverance of the saints. Continuance in the faith once for all delivered to the saints is a sure mark of one's salvation. John affirms this fact in verse 25 when he says, quote, And this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. In other words, Deviance from the faith once and all delivered to the saints, which means the word of God, any kind of deviance from the word of God is a mark of a false believer, a false teacher, and one who has a, and one who has a spirit or attitude of the Antichrist. That's what John is saying. Read it carefully, study it carefully, friends. First John chapter 2. Now, verse 26 emphasizes the fact that John is writing and teaching these things to protect them from false teachers. Notice what he says. I want you to understand that we are trying to get across to you the word of God, not the word of man. So just remember what God is saying to you from his word, not what I am saying to you. Because as I have always stated on this program, God has promised to bless his word not what I say about his word. So listen to his words now. Quote, These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. In other words, John is writing this particular passage now because of the same kind of situation we're facing today. People were trying to deceive Christians by what they're teaching, by claiming that they were anointed. 
You see, teaching of the Word of God by spiritually gifted teachers is what God uses to defend and protect His people from false teachers and their doctrine. And that's what the Apostle John was doing. Now, in verse 28 of this passage, John gives the results of abiding in the truth, which, in essence, is the same as abiding in Christ and abiding in the anointing of the Holy Spirit's presence. He also gives us the results of not abiding in the truth, as was true of the Antichrist type false teachers. Notice what John says, quote, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, speaking of Jesus Christ, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Now, the concept or the idea of abiding in Christ has to do with obedience to the word of God. John 15 teaches this when it talks about the vine and the branches. We are to abide in him. And the context shows that means to obey his commandments. Genuine believers, evidenced by their perseverance in the faith, truthfulness to the word of God, and the Spirit's anointing, will not be ashamed at the coming of Jesus Christ because they are adhering to the truth of the word of God as taught to them by the anointed, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Believers will not shrink or run away from Christ when he comes as the false teachers and mere professors of faith in Christ will do at that time. Christ will appear for the believers at the rapture, but he will appear for the unbelievers as return to earth when he comes to judge in righteousness. At that time, John tells us in the book of Revelation that unbelievers will cry out to the mountains and rocks to fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come and who is able to stand? That's Revelation 6, verses 16 and 17. My friends, listen carefully. True believers do not need to fear the wrath of God. But unbelievers and false teachers who claim to be the anointed, the Christ, will have to fear that day. That's why John tells the believer, not John, that's why James tells the believer that not all believers should seek to become teachers. Why? Because they will face the greater the greater judgment in the coming day. Now, the Apostle John closes this section by giving one final mark of a true believer in verse 29. And we've been looking at 1 John chapter 2. Now, this is verse 29. And this is what it says. If you know that he is righteous, and he is, isn't he? Jesus Christ is the only righteous one, really. We can only claim righteousness based on his righteousness. He is our righteousness, Jesus Christ. He is the righteous one. He knew no sin, no sin at all. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who also practices righteousness is born of him. A mark of a true, born-again child of God is one who practices righteousness in his life because he has Jesus Christ living within him in the person of the Holy Spirit. In other words, a true child of God continually practices obedience to the word of God, and when he does that, 
he acts righteously. That's what we call practical righteousness. It's a lifestyle characterized by godliness and an adherence to the truth, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And here is the blessed truth that John is emphasizing in this passage. We have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He was given to us at the moment we place faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When we relied upon him and his finished work for us, we were anointed with the Spirit of God. And John says that anointing stays with us. And that anointing of the Spirit of God illuminates the Word of God, teaches us the Word of God. We don't need someone who claims to be anointed to give us the secrets of God's Word because the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us the Word. Friends, please heed the Word of God in these days in which we live. Watch out, beware for those who come in sheep's clothing but are wolves those who are seeking to fleece the people of God rather than to build them up, those who are claiming to be anointed to be Christ because that's what the words mean. They are fulfilling the text, the prophecy when Jesus says, many will come saying, I am anointed. Don't go after them, he says. Don't listen to them. But listen to the anointing of the Spirit of God within you. You have no one to teach you any deep truths that you cannot glean from yourselves and from those who are being really gifted by God to do that. And so may God then encourage and enable us to be his kind of a person, a genuine believer in Christ, who is equipped by his word to resist and reject those who do not believe in or teach that Jesus is God and who benefits on a continual basis as a result of the abiding anointing of the Holy Spirit. And remember, my friends, if you are a true believer in Christ because of faith in him, you do not need the Spirit's anointing. Why? Because you already have it, because that's a mark of your being a child of God. He is our anointing. He is, I say, our security. My friends, let's listen to the teaching of our resident anointed one, the Holy Spirit. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. Easy, easy be, easy, easy be, excellence in Christian broadcasting.